What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMoreReason.com here with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. Today, joined by special guest Justin Johnson of BudsFeed. How are you doing today, Justin? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Is that, is that the Godfather font? Is that, is that what you got going on over there? A okay, little, okay, little throwback to, I, you know, I know you're calling him from Seattle, so I had to do a little Nirvana today. Their Nirvana, yeah. First, I saw the top of it. I was like, "Is that a Godfather?" And then when I, I, I seen it, as soon as I seen, yeah, had to get the full the picture, man. Well, I appreciate you making some time to to hop on here today. Um, we're gonna have some some conversations about media, online, e-commerce, cannabis, and that that of the sort here in, in a few in a, in a couple minutes. But before we get started into that, um, every episode I have on, I always invite our guests to share their origin, their personal origin story with cannabis, whether that's personal, professional, or a mix of both. Really up to you to choose what you decide to disclose. But I'm just curious kind of when when you, Justin Johnson and cannabis, you know, first, first started uh, your relationship together. It's funny, you know, I grew up in Spokane, Washington. So, you know, being from Washington, there's cannabis everywhere, right? A lot of my friends you know, growing up smoked. I was very, I wouldn't say I was anti, but I definitely avoided it. Um, I, you know, I, I was a, a, a straight A student and I thought that it was going to be one of those things, you know, I, I kind of fell victim to the propaganda thinking it was going to you know, change me entirely. And uh, probably around senior year of high school, I started experiencing really bad uh, symptoms of OCD. Um, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I've had it for most of my life. Um, but, it, it, you know, as you get go through puberty and get older and those things start to manifest into real like adult anxiety um and uh, i had some friends that were you know kind of getting into it and i'm you know i i decided you know let me give it a shot and i just remember the first time you know consuming it well the first time i consumed it, i you know i accidentally swallowed like half a bong full of water which is not the most pleasant experience but uh (laughs) you know follow 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 up occasions um it was just, you know, I was just having fun. It made me laugh. It made me relax. It made me not worry about all these other things that are happening in my life. And, you know, by the time I was, you know, at the end of my senior year, getting ready to go to Washington State, it was certainly a part of my lifestyle. And, um, you know, um, when you deal with things like OCD and ADHD, um, which, you know, like half of our friends growing up get diagnosed with, um, they want to pump you full of pills. And those are things that are like, um, you know, you have complications for young men who like to go, you know, future partying, going out and drinking and stuff like that. So a lot of those pharmaceuticals really have those negative um, side effects. And, and the one thing I could always rely on to kind of calm me down and keep me um, happy and, 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 and enjoying my, you know, time on this earth was cannabis. So, um, you know, throughout college, it just, you know, became more and more prominent. And, you know, frankly, uh, you know, I'm 38 today. Uh, up until today, it's been something that I've consumed regularly, daily, um, to help um, deal with stress, but also just you know make a make this life a little bit more fun and bearable. I love that. And so, how much was it like in those early days? Did you notice like, hey, this is helping me with 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 OCD and and some of those aspects, or was it more like? this is just a recreational thing that I enjoy. And that was the, that the assistance was like, Oh, this is kind of a helps calm my mind and relax me. Was it, were you like tapped into kind of the therapeutic benefits or was it more just kind of like that recreational release or escape that also had obviously has some, some, you know, benefits of easing the mind. 
Yeah, to be honest with you, even though there was people in my life, including like my uncle and other people, like adults who had, were probably really aware of those therapeutic benefits, obviously like when you're a kid, nobody's really gonna talk to you about like the benefits of consuming cannabis. It puts them in a bad position with your mom. And so so I, I really had no idea, you know, uh, all I knew is that it made me feel good. And it's not something that I would consume like before I went to school or anything like that. It's, you know, I'd get off, it'd be the weekend and I would, I would, um, you know, I had a lot of anxiety. So, and it was like one of those things that as soon as I consumed it, I was like, I was chilling out. I was having fun. I was, um, you know, I was always a happy-go-lucky kid, but I had a lot of angst and, um, and uh, you know, concern. When you're OCD, you basically obsess over the worst-case scenario of a situation, and then you have compulsions that you perform that cause you to make you feel better. Like, like when people check the doorknob multiple times to make sure that they locked their door. Um, things like that and, and you're checking the doorknob is it makes you feel better but unfortunately you do it like five times and it's really like problematic it can be really disruptive in your life um, I would I would notice that those types of things kind of faded away that you know those symptoms mm. I, I I wouldn't worry about those things I wouldn't worry about anything frankly I would you know I was chilling with my friends watching movies and hanging out with girls and and, and just being a, a you know a young guy without any of those concerns um, and so the, the, the therapeutic effects were certainly there. I didn't really recognize them. And when I got into college, I actually had an opportunity to write a paper on something that impacted my life. And I actually um, had studied a lot more about OCD at that point. You know, I was probably like 19, 19 years old at that point, another year in of, of kind of um, self-medicating, if you will. And I certainly did a lot more reflection on the therapeutic benefits of it, of it then when I had a chance to kind of sit down and Unfortunately, I had a cool professor who was totally down and <laughs> was, was not turned off about me writing about how I, you know, consume cannabis to, to, to help myself with stress and, and uh, this anxiety. That's them Pullman teachers, man. That, that's them, them Pullman <laughs> teachers. <laughs> My speech teacher literally told me, he goes, if you've never seen Little Green Men, you haven't done enough drugs. I'm like, wow, this is, yeah, that's like Washington State in a nutshell, though, man. You know, it's like, you know it's it's weird because i remember getting caught with weed one time and legit the cop pulled it out of our car smashed it on the ground and maced it didn't give us a ticket didn't arrest us didn't do anything he just like <laughs> fucked with us right <laughs> you ain't gonna smoke that now are you and that yeah. was it you know and it's like you know because you had so much we had the beasters i mean we had the stuff coming in from canada you know, there's kids in my high school, you know, they'd get the kids that were going to be Marines or that were football players and they'd pay them to go out to the fields and grab them backpacks after they dropped them over the border and run them back into town. So it was, it was everywhere and nowhere. If you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't notice how prominent it was. But in Washington at that time, I mean, there's a reason it was one of the first states to go legal. Like you just, the writing was on the wall. It wasn't going anywhere. It was so prominent in the state. And you were close to man. I forgot you were close to you know out there in Spokane. That's close to uh, Coeur d'Alene, where I, I think that's where there was that movie. Kid Cannabis, Cannabis right? yeah. Was I knew that kids during your era? Are, were you aware of that story back then? I wasn't aware of his story, but when I watched that movie, I'm like, I knew kids that would do that. You know, they would basically, <laughs> you know, they get the kids that were like 
athletic, like military recruits that, you know, and, 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 you know, some of the student athletes and some of the guys that could strap to, you know, 30 pound bags on their back and haul it out of the woods. And, you know, back then a pound was like 4,000 bucks a pound. Right. So they give you 500 bucks to go carry a backpack for two hours. I mean, you knew there was a lot of risk, but you know, I, I never, I never, I mean, I was such a, I, I there's no way I had nowhere near the bravery to do what those guys were doing but yeah it was it was common and um we also were up by um you know uh colville and kettle mm -hmm. falls and that you know kettle falls is like known for it's like gorilla growing the closer you got to the border of, of canada the less the police even gave a shit you know right it was it was just um it was kind of a way of life and it's funny i live in upstate new york now it's the same way man it doesn't matter if you're you know, Democrat, Republican, you know, city guy, country bumpkin. I live up in upstate, you know, about an hour and a half north of the city. I've met some of the most conservative people you've ever met in your life. And they've had, a, you know, a cannabis garden for 20 years growing <laughs> 26 foot, you know, plants in their backyard. And it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, I think the more north you go, you know, just aside from like being in like California, the more north you go, man, the more common it's just always been. It's definitely regular. So after after college, obviously, you know, I, I'm not sure all the careers, but I know you had a career in advertising and then eventually worked your way into cannabis. What what, what was it like, you know, working in, in traditional and I always say it in hypothesis or, you know, quotations, traditional, uh, any business that's not cannabis. What was it like working in, in in advertising as a cannabis consumer before cannabis was legalized? And then, and then when, when did that transition to, to cannabis kind of take place for you? Yeah, to be honest with you, it was my dream, man. I went to, you know, I grew up wanting to do advertising. I went to WSU because of the advertising program. And I got out and I pursued that. So I, you know, I started writing commercials really early on. Um, realized that that wasn't really my, my thing. And uh, got into business development and started, you know, like, there's always in the movies, there's the guy that leads the pitch that runs the, the advertising pitch. And I, you know, I was that guy. And, um, you know, there was a short stint, probably about four or five years of my career where I really focused on, I noticed that we stopped selling TV commercials and all that kind of stuff. And this is like the rise of Facebook, right? The rise of social media. And so I graduated college in 06 and, you know, it was just perfect timing. I'd say that of the, um, the rise of Facebook, perfectly collided with my career in advertising and I rode that wave man all the way to the top um you know when I left the advertising world I was a partner at a content marketing agency in New York I had 30 employees I'd built my last company from 24 people to 140 people um you know I was I was on top and um you know what I realized when I was in advertising is that um I had all these people working for me and they were so independently talented and, and creative. And I remember we had a pretty good year, but we weren't able to bonus out everybody very well. Like some of these guys were getting like a thousand, three thousand dollar bonuses. And we did, you know, we did seven and a half million dollars that year in revenue. And uh, I remember thinking very distinctly, like every single one of these people in the next year is going to be able to leave this place and go make six figures making TikToks and Snapchat 
and and Pinterest boards. Like you know, uh, we we were we were official partners of all the big social media platforms, and all of these guys were so talented at making this type of content. I'm like, they're going to be able to leave, and they're going to make six figures tomorrow. And right now, I'm in you know, I'm 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 enslaving these people for like 50 grand, and it was because the culture of the company was really good, and the agency agency model was still the big the big thing. Um, but I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. So I left and, and, and I went and I worked in consumer tech for about three years. And at the same time, I had the, the idea to launch BuzzFeed. Um, so I was never shy about the fact that I smoked cannabis and advertising. It's probably one of the reasons I survived 15 years in it. And I <laughs> loved it is that, um, you know, I didn't like consume my work or anything like that. But like I, lived, I was in agencies in Seattle, Los Angeles and New York and half the people that i worked with consumed cannabis right and so my love for it was an appreciation for it and the fact that i consumed you know as long as i wasn't coming high to work and you know unable to do my job nobody really cared and so so that was uh, pretty cool and honestly when i transitioned uh and and left the agency world you know i'd say i don't know five six of my mentors were like nice work you're getting in early into a new industry we're jealous of you we all have kids and we you know we have to keep it stable and like you know there's a lot of stuff like there's a lot of reasons that people couldn't take the risk that i was about to venture into from a financial and stability mm -hmm. perspective and so for me um i wouldn't say it was an easy transition there's certainly a lot of people that maybe i was closer with back in the day that have i wouldn't i don't think they're purposely keeping their distance but my life style is way different now and it's not something that they really necessarily understand but um you know to be honest with you um you know i had i had announced it to my agency when i left and you know a year and a half later one of the young women who worked for me um she reached out to me she said hey my dad is retired and he's looking to invest in cannabis businesses would you be willing to talk to him and I said, you know, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started doing due diligence on some other investments for him. And then he said, you know, what is this idea of BuzzFeed you have? Would you be willing to put together a business model and share, you know, not, you know, share the idea with me? And I did. And he said, all right, well, let's do this. Let's, and, and he, you know, invested in it and I quit my job and uh, tech and started BuzzFeed. And so, um, yeah, it was a, it was an easy transition. It wasn't like I was going from being like an orthopedic surgeon to like <laughs> running a, a weed website or something like that, where you know the entire uh, you know most of the people thought it was cool. You know, I, I think and 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 they thought you know they believed in me that I could do something. And then break break down BuzzFeed for for the folks out there because obviously it's like community you know from my perspective right community driven platform obviously you guys have unique content but there's a lot of uh, community driven uploads and engagement within the platform so you give me a little bit of a overlay of kind of how how the platform works and and what all the type of content you got showcased on there for sure so when I was in consumer tech there was a website that was really I really liked called uh, ProductHunt.com it's still around today and Product Hunt is a platform where uh, tech entrepreneurs, young developers, in, in the indie scene can go share their cool new technological product service guide, whatever they've invented. And I, I really enjoyed the camaraderie of that development community. And um, 
you know, I discovered a lot of amazing stuff. Like Slack was launched mm. on product hunt. That's how like the masses kind of learned about Slack. So they were responsible, you know, the community of their community was only about, I think 7 million people, but it was like, it does, you know, what I liked about it is it didn't matter about the size. It mattered about the, 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 the power of the community. And, and, you know, when you think about cannabis, cannabis is a niche community. You're not going to build a 200 million person community in cannabis because not enough people are willing to identify that, you know, that that's, it's that big of a part of their personality, you know, um, mainstream, you know, whenever, whenever somebody tries to create like the, the Instagram of weed, I'm just like, that's not going to work. It's just Instagram is here. So why would somebody join the Instagram of weed? So, um, so the platform is, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a community powered platform for sharing cannabis related products and services. Users can sign up, create an account, seed their product for free. When you sign up, you get a little plus button in your menu. You can add a product by adding a title, a description, photos, videos, important links. You seed it on the site. It gets reviewed within 24 to 48 hours, and then it goes live. Uh, it's live for an entire week at the top of the feed, and other users vote on their favorite products. And then at the end of the week, the top five products get featured in my newsletter. They get featured uh, in my social media content. And I just kind of celebrate the participation and the innovation of people in the community. And that's really the flywheel that is the core kind of feature of, of, of BudSuite and how it works. Um, in addition to that, I, I do a, what's called a how it started interview. Um, and that's really my effort to interview. I really ask the same questions of cannabis entrepreneurs um, uh, across the across the spectrum, whether you're the CEO of a major MSO or you're, you know, the inventor of a cool new pipe. Um, I'm trying to get um, perspective and an understanding of, of how and why um, those people join the cannabis industry. What what motivated them to do that, and what are you know what are the mistakes they made? What are the good things that they've done? and try to pass that knowledge on to this next generation of cannabis entrepreneurs. Um, and then I do, I do a little bit of original content. I'll do a lot of recaps of the, the top most upvoted, you know, pre-rolls, mm -hmm. cannabis beverages. Um, I also do a, a newsletter. I've done a newsletter every Monday for about 180 Mondays in a row now. Mm -hmm. And that recaps all the top news uh, from the week. Uh, some really important stats that I thought were a little mind-blowing from the week the top five products and then the most foremost recent interviews that we've done. And so that's kind of, um, yeah, I'd say it's probably about 90% user generated. And then, you know, with a, with a, an editorial slant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 138 Mondays in a row, man. I, I know that, More than that. 180, 180, 180, 180. Shoot. Yeah. I, I, I know that Monday newsletter grind very, very well myself. It's wild, but it's discipline. You know, the thing is, when you are your own boss, uh, it's and especially in this industry, it's super easy to get caught up in like, let's just go get high and like whatever comes around, we'll do it. And it's like, no, you got to be, you got to have a vision and you got to have some discipline that's going to keep you on the track. Worst case scenario, everything implodes. That newsletter is still a really valuable thing that. That I get emails every single week where people tell me how much they appreciate the fact that I'm doing it. And so um, that's how it started, actually, before I built BudSpeed, the website, before I ever started our social media channels. I started with 100 people that I pulled off my LinkedIn from my advertising career and started a newsletter. And now it's grown 
you know, newsletter subscriptions, about uh, 5,000 um, super engaged readers. Um, you know, the site's doing about 20,000 uniques a month um, from people, you know, coming and discovering the products that are being shared, reading the interviews. And uh, yeah, but it all started with that email newsletter. Yeah. And that's it, being diligent on that. I was for me, like it took a while to build the habit for a Monday newsletter. You know, you wait till like, if you wait till Monday morning to start it, then it's like a scramble and Monday's always so crazy. So I would like, it took me, it was, and, and with respect where it just started out as an e-commerce company selling clothing and every, you know, everyone in e-commerce, like you need a newsletter. And it's like, I would send out, send out a newsletter probably every time we did a new product drop or a major restock or a major holiday but i didn't do a weekly newsletter for years and everyone yeah. everything you read you know everything you'd read says do it do it and then once i started and then built up the template now it's like i don't even think about it like sunday night comes i make my newsletter in like 20 30 minutes like every sunday i don't yeah you know. yeah you crank it out and um it's hard though, man, especially getting started. You know, the feedback is really difficult. It's like, why do these people unsubscribe? And then and then the next day, the next week you'll get a burst of like 20 new subscribers. Like, what happened? What you know, like it's it's very bipolar. It, it can make you it can make you mad because you put so much effort into it. And sometimes, you know, oh, it's the holidays, your open rate is like normally 40%, and now it's 18 because yeah. just randomly this week nobody's around. And it's like, you know, um, I think that's the problem, honestly, with running a digital platform in general. The feedback loop is so immediate and it's hot. You know, when it's hot, you're super excited. And when it's not hot, you're like, what am I doing wrong? And yeah. sometimes it's like just external factors that you can't even account for. You take that shit for, I used to always tell Joey that I was like, man, I, I look at our unsubscribes and I just would be like, man, what is motherfucker? Like, I'm going to see him this week and be like, why'd you unsubscribe from our newsletter? I, bro? You know, you don't fuck <laughs> I literally screenshot it and I DM people with a tear emoji. I'm like, what the fuck? What are you doing? I, I, and they're like, I, 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 anymore, you the I took it personal for a minute, man, where it'd be like, these motherfuckers come to every single party we throw when they come, but now they're unsubscribed. Now they're not going to get the, the notifications for the uh, whatever, you know. Um, but it, it's smart that they, obviously since you started with the, the, the newsletter, right, you obviously and, and you've had that that know how of, of marketing in general, of understanding that uh, a newsletter is an asset, much like a website's an asset. And cannabis is no better example than, you know, I always say social media is, is something we rent, right? Like we pay yeah. it money and time, but it's there's no ownership and you can get kicked up out that bitch for, you know, with some preset of rules and regulations at, at you know, for any reason at any time. How much, like, how how big has social media been for you growing the business? But, like, clearly, I take it you've probably always had that, like, website and newsletter. Like, that's my asset. I'm going to put my attention towards these these most, correct? Yeah, I, I like the term rent. I've always called it owned, earned, and borrowed. You know, if you're borrowing something, somebody can take it away from you very quickly if they want to. And you got to always be conscious of that. So, um, you know, sometimes I get frustrated because, you know, you look at um, – you look at the top trees of the world and some of these other platforms that are in the media space and it's like they they made their entire bet or you you like doing things media if you're familiar with like drunk people doing things uh you know middle class fancy really cool guys that run that company by the way but they built this entire ecosystem on 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 instagram and and they kind of were able to get a get away with it and you know sometimes i go back and forth being like man 
should I have invested as much time and money into my website? And then I realized, you know, long term, I could not even test my website for a month and I'll still get 10,000 uniques. And so that's something that um, I think things like SEO are super underestimated. And that's really the value of having the website and, 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 and why I made that commitment. I have to remind myself that I made that commitment for that reason. Um, same thing with the newsletter. It is a, it is a historical uh, uh, record of the kind of work I've been doing this entire time. Um, I do think, you know, Instagram, um, especially getting in, in the New York scene was really important. Um, creating a lot of original, you know, and it was second nature for me. I just didn't really focus on it as a primary channel. So Instagram was really important and continues to be really important for me. I've built several businesses just off of Instagram. I have a cabin rental business in upstate New York that crushes it because of Instagram and my wife runs that. Um, so her running it plus my Instagram is why it's crushing it. Um, and then uh, Budsfeed and uh, Chill Still Pipes, uh, the, 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 um, ancillary business that I started a year and a half ago. Um, those have all been really built on Instagram. And then, um, honestly dating back to like 2008, I've been one of the top percent, top 1% of people on LinkedIn since then. I've literally never, since I got my first job in advertising, I've never looked for a job ever in my entire life because i was active on linkedin and not not in the sense like today we're like posting stuff on linkedin we have the news feed back then it was like keep your resume tight you know um if you did a project put it into your portfolio and i you know i did that really religiously so um when i decided to kind of come out of the closet from a cannabis perspective because when i wrote my newsletter i signed it jj a lot of people didn't even know it was me and I, mm. I did that kind of on purpose because i wasn't sure if i was going to jump in with both feet yet right and as soon as I started to on LinkedIn, that was a major, that was a major needle mover as well. So I'd say LinkedIn and, uh, and, and Instagram and, um, you know, as tough as those, pop, you know, LinkedIn's very, whatever, they're cool with the cannabis stuff, you know, Instagram, I've fortunately not had a lot of troubles with, but, um, um, you know, what I realized is like everybody who's selling weed <laughs> or, or in the scene or whatever in New York, they were, they're on Instagram, you know, you can mm -hmm. DM anyone and you know, know where a party's at. And so kind of a necessary evil. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I look at it the same way. Everybody's on Instagram. So it's great to meet people there. Obviously it's not friendly to cannabis. So sometimes you need to be a little strategic, but like you said, there's you provide an example. There's a couple, uh, you know, media platforms that have been built solely on Instagram, right? What inside of cannabis and out even music nowadays, right? Like what I see some of what, 10 years ago, what would have been a music blog is now just like a repost pit. You know what I mean? They don't even have a website. They just repost content on the story. They might brand it, but it's just like posted on their, on their story and on their timeline. And it's people are building these whole businesses and, and platforms within a platform, which is great. But, you know, obviously I'm, I'm always like, you got to relate that back to a data capture, right? Whether it's unique website visitors or, or email list or SMS list, something like you need to be able to retain something. Cause at the end of the day, Instagram will pull that, pull that plug out the fucking hard. Yeah. Well, and even if they don't pull the plug out, they'll, you know, I, 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 I was probably one of the first thousand people to run ads on Facebook. Like literally um, hmm. when I was living in LA, they had just launched the product and I was a beta tester on their ad product. Um, and I had been doing paid search and SEO prior to that for, for clients. And, um, 
the edge rank, which is what they used to call their algorithm back in the day, you know, Facebook was amazing. Like if you, if your brand did the Harlem shake and you'd go viral, it was just like, that's what it was. And then over time, no, if your brand, Oh, set up a page, we got these cool features for your page. Okay. I'll set up a page. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, my reach has really dropped. It's like, yeah, cause you're no longer a person and you're a page and they want you to pay. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if they don't pull the plug on you, they will slowly diminish your reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, you know, you'll get to the point where you have 150,000 followers, but you're not getting any more action than you did when you had 25,000. That's the craziest thing. Fight to get fucking followers. And then you have to, <laughs> to, to, pay to, reach to serve the people that have already agreed that they like your shit and want to see it. Man. That was literally like one of the strategies that Facebook would employ back in the day. Like they would say, you know, go do a like campaign, get a hundred thousand likes. And then when you run a new campaign to promote a product for sale, advertise it to the people that like you because they've already shown interest in your business. So it's like, Oh wait, I just spent 20 grand uh, doing a like campaign. Now you want me to spend a hundred grand targeting those people with an ad. Like why didn't I just target those people with an ad out of the gate? And um, which is kind of how it is now. Now you're just doing lookalike audiences and you're building custom audiences based on you know interest graph and stuff like that but it's uh yeah it's it's bonkers it's it's um it's unfortunate that's actually the danger is like you even if you did it 100 organic you get up to 125,000 followers at some point they're just going to start diminishing how many of those people you can actually reach mm-hmm. absolutely and the type of content right that they want is, is the algorithm prefers it's constantly changing how has it with the chill still pipes, obviously now, you know, that, that you have your own brand in the cannabis space, an ancillary product that obviously predominantly sells through e-com. How is that? And obviously online advertising is nothing new to you in general, but how is it running that business helped you build up BudsFeed better and understand like the value that it can provide other ancillary companies or brands and advertising opportunities for people to, to use your, your platform? For sure. You know, a lot. And I think, I think really the main thing, so the main thing, and you, you know this because you guys run an agency, like you monetize in a unique way. You know, when you run a, a cannabis website, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to do ads and branded content. I'm going to make millions of dollars a year off this platform. And I got a cool name and, you know, that's, and then reality sets in. You're like, okay, if I run an ad network, I'm, I might make 20 grand a year off of the ads because I'm a niche website. You know, like I'm not generating, I'm not Hearst, I'm not generating tens of millions of page views every day with six ads per page, first of all. Second of all, who gives a shit about my branded content versus High Times versus Respect My Region versus Honeysuckle or Vice or anybody else who's in the space, right? And so I quickly realized, like, oh man. I'm not going to make money this way, but what I have done is I've created a platform that helps people and is very altruistic and it's in its in its um, mission to give entrepreneurs a platform to share their product. And as a result, I had a lot of people starting to come to me and they're asking me questions like, "Oh, you know, what lawyer do you use? What accountant do you use? Um, what e-com platform do you use? What you know, payment processor? Yada yada yada." And I started consulting people that way, and I started adding a lot of value to these young people's mm-hmm. business or these not even young, young entrepreneurs, people with new companies. And, uh, and then, you know, my partner, Rich from chill came to me and he said, Hey man, I have an idea for a new bomb. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to share it with you. And, um, he showed it to me and I told him straight up, like, 
hey man, if you build this thing, I'll be your CMO and I will help us raise however much money we need to launch this thing because this is dope and I've never seen anything like it. You know, at this point, there've been 1,200 products shared on BudSuite and I've never seen anything like it in my life. And um, he did and we did and, and uh, you know, uh, and it blew up. I mean, we quickly sold tens of thousands of these devices. Um, we became the Smoke Shop Expo product of the year. Um, I was featured in like, I don't know, like, 50 gift guides and um you know suddenly all these people who knew me from buzzfeed were like oh okay so you can do this for for a product and it all starts here like and you know and then i said yeah like i'm not going to know about your i might know about your product i might if you're stash or if you're puffco or someone like that like i'm just going to hear about you because you've already made some noise but um but a lot of people started coming to me because they saw the success of the chill and they wanted to, you know, determine how do we replicate it. And, uh, you know, I told them, you know, share your product on BuzzFeed, get it exposed to my audience. If we get a good response, you know, let's start a relationship. And if I can help you, I'll help you. And, uh, it's been good. So, you know, I started with the chill. Um, I'm now a, uh, Hey, Tiffany, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a part owner of a product called the cleaner, um, which makes, um, Oh man, do I have one laying around? I probably do. Oh, I do. So the clinger makes this little device right here where you can put a, a lighter. You can put a Bic or a clipper lighter in there. You can put a king size joint in there. It's airtight, smell proof, waterproof. Um, I, you know, I'm working with uh, the guys from the beam that invented the first ever laser vaporizer. Mm. Um, I'm working with um, hemp mellow, which is the ones that make the diesel. <laughs> hemp derived gummies i was telling you about delta 9 uh, thc gummies um and uh yeah and and you know some some of these people some of these companies i'm i'm a consultant and i get paid paid to work on them some of them i have an equity stake in their business and i'm a part owner of their business and then some of them i'm just you know like i'm i, I love them like they're friends you know so like uh, wendy wendy out of uh uh, Canada, she's the inventor of the Zenco vapor tap. Mm -hmm. Um, this thing went crazy viral the other day and she's like, Justin, I need to, you know, I need to start distributing to, to, uh, you know, she's in Canada to the United States and to Europe. And so I plugged her in with my, my folks at my friends at Dynavap and now they're helping her distribute in, in Europe and in the United States. And, you know, uh, it, it's been cool. It's been cool to kind of be at the epicenter of all these innovative, people and products and you know if i can make a dime helping people out great but but part of the whole ethos of the platform is to be there to to just help people help themselves too you know um, you know if you follow me for long enough and you follow the and you participate in the community everything i'm seeing the people who are close to me are going to see it too yeah Absolutely. I love that. And I definitely understand intimately, you know, monetizing cannabis media or cannabis sites, right? I understand that that uh, intimately. And I think it, it's unique watching what you've done because we've done the same thing of like figuring out how do we, uh, there's value there, there's understanding there, there's audience there, but you can't necessarily monetize it or scale it the way it would in, you know, when we're doing non-cannabis, the same version non-cannabis, right? It's a little bit different. And the, and the nuance, there's, a lot of different variables and nuances that cause that, but it's 
uh, dope to see like, hey, this is what I'm learning. This is still an asset beyond just building an audience as an asset that should be monetized, right? That understanding that experience is an asset that could be leveraged towards, you know, taking that experience other places, right? Or, or, or the connections that are built from it. Yeah, I never wanted to come in and be like, yo, I was a hotshot in advertising. Let me help your brand. You know, like I never want to like be that guy. And and part of it, you know, it's super unfortunate. Like a lot of these companies, they would have the money to hire someone like yourself or a consultant like me to come if it weren't for things like 280E, right? Like these guys literally spend the majority of their money buying herb and then they can't write it off. And so you're talking about millions of dollars a year in write-offs that could otherwise be funneled into marketing, packaging, distribution, um, you know, discounts for customers. And even in the ancillary space, you know, if you look at like Puffco or any of these companies, man, they just shipping Puffco's into the United States. They're shipping them as pieces and they're assembling them here when they get here. And it costs them 25% more to create a Puffco than it costs magic bullet to ship in a blender you know mm -hmm. and so so you know we, we as an industry we um we kind of suffer from this additional like um vice tax that we have to deal with and i think as soon as we decrim cannabis and we open our, our open our borders to importing of of devices without concern of seizure and those types of things um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more quality advertising and marketing happening. We're gonna see you know sites like yours and mine and and uh, services that like you and I provide um, get paid the higher dollar that they should be getting. You know, like the hardest thing for me when I started Budsy is I started making all these little videos for these companies, and somebody was like, "Oh, can you make me one of those videos? I'll pay you like two hundred fifty bucks." I'm like. Bro, I won't even sneeze for 250 bucks. Like, I'll make you, a, show me your product. If I love your product, I'll make you a video for free. I'm not mm -hmm. gonna sit there and make it for 250 bucks and then have all these expectations and you like start asking for animations and all this crazy stuff. I'm like, you know, the videos that I made, if I were making it for Nestle, they'd be paying me five grand. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'd, rather, I'd rather take the hit myself, invest my own time and energy and money into things that I actually dig and when the time comes, know who did you a solid and let's do some real work together, you know? And yeah. Because uh, I felt, I never felt slighted when somebody asked me to do something for that much money. It's just like, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work under some weird expectation that you're going to get like a masterpiece for 250 bucks or even 500 bucks <laughs> or even a thousand bucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, that's not the world I come from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I understand that. Well, well, Justin, man, I really appreciate you hanging out, sharing insight on the story today for anyone else out there that wants more information, budsfeed.com. Go on there, start seeding some products, checking out what's going on there. Um, anything else you want to plug before I get you up out of here, man? Uh, for sure. Well, uh, yeah, definitely come check out Budsfeed, follow us on social. If you're looking for an amazing uh, uh, holiday gift, Go to go to chill that store. Get yourself a dope uh, bong for oh, here we go in the center uh, for a loved one for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. Love it, I love it. Awesome, Justin. Well, I'm, I might see you in Vegas next or here in a couple of weeks or what? 
I won't. I'm I'm uh I'm celebrating my 10 year anniversary, so I'm gonna be in Maui. So I'm I'm bummed that I'll miss MJ Biz, but I I can't complain about what I'll be up to. Congrats on congrats on the decade and enjoy Hawaii, my guy. All right, have fun, everyone. All right, G. Well, I appreciate you. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. We're looking at the best in legal cannabis. If you're staying tuned right now, we got another episode we're about to run here shortly, so stay tuned. It'll be in another video, but we'll be back live in a moment.